It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Hello, I'm Carol Swain, and welcome to the Be The People podcast and radio show. Uh, My guest today is Alan Ronach, and we are going to be talking about something that's very important given the coronavirus pandemic and the regulations that the federal government and state and local governments have put in place that have asked people to stay in their homes, they've asked businesses and churches to close. Alan is the executive director and general counsel of the Church State Council in Westlake Village, California, and he defends the rights and liberties of churches across America. He's an expert on the Constitution, and he's been on Be the People before, and he's here today to talk about how social distancing impacts the legal rights of churches. So, Alan, welcome back to the Be the People show. Thank you so much, Carol. Uh, This is certainly a very important topic. I believe this is one of the first times that churches have actually closed their doors during a crisis, that in the past, churches were, were those places of refuge where you always knew the doors would be open. Some churches have closed their doors. I would imagine that the overwhelming majority have. Every now and then you hear of a church that stayed open during the uh, period of time when the government said that we should all stay at home. Well, we have discovered that Seventh-day Adventist churches back in the flu, the Spanish flu epidemic of 19, was it 1919 or 1918, that uh, our churches did close at that time. So I guess there is a precedent for this to happen. I don't know about the other churches because it's not something that you read about. So, you know, maybe this isn't the first time that we've had Uh, an epidemic where churches made the decision for the protection of their parishioners to close their doors. But when I think about the church, I always think about how, uh, you know, doing various plagues in the past, it was the church that distinguished uh, itself from the rest of the world because they went in and they cared for the sick. Sure. Look, I think the, the critical issue right now is what can we do to contribute to public health and safety? And clearly staying home is just that thing that we can do, is is learning to build our community and our networking uh, remotely and not being in in physical contact with one another. Do you think, um, you know, we don't know the answer to this, but, once all government regulations have been lifted and that things will go back to normal or will people realize, well, maybe I don't, I don't have to be in the physical church building because we're told in the Bible that we are the church, uh, that, you know, the church is not um, encased in walls. Uh, does life go back to normal or, or have we found a new way to do church? Paul writes 
let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I think that for those, most of us, I think, value the physical presence of, of worshiping as part of a church. And if, if, you know, if we've compared worshiping remotely, watching sermons, watching Christian television, uh, you know, participating remotely, it's not the same. Um, so I, I certainly hope that those who are physically able will come back to church. On the other hand, uh, my congregation, like many, we have a, a number of people who are not physically able to come to church. And I hope that their skills in accessing worship and um, connecting with people will improve as a result, that they'll get um, more motivated to be better connected, even if they're not able to come to church. Well, one of the things I think that this really points I mean, there's an issue that maybe all of the elderly people may not be um, media savvy enough to know how to pull up online their church services so that whenever we return to normal, maybe that's something that we need to make sure that all the senior citizens in our churches know how to use their phones or know how to um, pull up uh, the church services on their TV. Well, last uh, week, not this past weekend, weekend before last, I preached a live stream sermon, and the pastor there told me that his 85-year-old mother regularly watches the worship service by live stream. So I know that, uh, you know, as uh, to, to contradict the old saying, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Well, we're certainly in a new age uh, in the sense that things are happening in America that many of us never anticipated and just even beyond the church. So I think pretty much what you're saying is that when it comes to social distancing, if the church is to be a responsible citizen and maybe to obey, you know, Caesar and the rulers that they should comply. And so that's the case. But what about those churches? And there are some that have decided not to comply. Uh, if uh, there were some type of uh, fine against those pastors, or if one of them, you know, was even arrested because they violated uh, uh, some edict that came down from the mayor or the governor, or, or even the federal government, how, would they be on strong ground constitutionally? Would they win a case that worked its way through the system? You know, I tell my clients who ask me, are they going to win, that uh, they didn't give me a crystal ball when I graduated law school. Or more recently, I've, I've uh, decided to quip that, uh, you know, my dog uh, knocked my crystal ball off the shelf and broke it. But um, I, I would like to take your question as an opportunity to kind of analyze the balance between public safety and, and public health needs and religious liberty, because I think it's important that we have a framework to understand these, these issues and, and how they balance. So for starters... Before you get started, Alan, yeah. I'd like to uh, take a break. And when we return, I really want to hear what you have to say about this.
Each week, the Be The People Show presents interviews with insightful guests from the world of politics, religion, media, and culture. The Be The People Show is on podcast. It offers bonus footage. To listen to Be The People online, go to the BeThePeopleNews.com website and subscribe to the Be The People podcast heard also on the America Out Loud Network. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm back with my guest, and we're talking about uh, social distancing, the church, and uh, things that have to do with the Constitution. So, Alan, would you uh, tell us, you know, your thoughts about uh, whether or not a pastor who decided to keep his church open, would they placing themselves at jeopardy legally and constitutionally? Your question initially was about potential criminal liability, and there's also potential civil liability. You know, what happens if somebody gets sick and dies as a result of attending your service? I posted uh, an article from Navajo country uh, sent to me by a pastor, posted it on Facebook about uh, two church members who did in fact contract the disease as a result of attending a church service. Now that happened before I think we all realized that it was important to stay home. So I don't know that the, you know, the pastor, the church could be held to be negligent in, in any way. Um, but putting negligence law aside for the moment. Well, how can they can never prove that's where they caught it, right? I, you know, I'm not the scientist. I know that they're using GPS tracking and doing a, a lot of very sophisticated work to to figure out where people had contact and, and, and how they contracted it because they're trying to isolate people who may have come into contact with the same carrier. Um, so those certainly are, are factual and, and medical questions. Um, I'd like to, to focus on the, the constitutional, which is really the balance between uh, public health as a, as a compelling governmental interest and First Amendment rights to religious freedom, to freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, all of which are part and parcel of what we do when we come together for worship. So the Supreme Court has made it clear that government action that does not target religion, you don't have a religious freedom exemption as long as the government regulations are non-discriminatory. They, they apply equal-handedly to everybody. And, and that's especially true with respect to state and local regulations um, because <clears throat> the federal government responded to that decision in 1990 by passing the Religious Freedom Restoration Act 
and holding itself to a higher standard. Uh, they tried to hold the states to the higher standard, but the Supreme Court struck that down. So even with respect to federal regulations, then the higher standard requires the state first to show a compelling interest in whatever regulation or law it is that's restricting religious freedom. So I don't think any court in the land would deny the state has a legitimate compelling interest in protecting public health and safety. You know, people are dying. It's, it's pretty clear. The question then becomes, can that compelling interest be accomplished in a manner that is less restrictive of the religious freedom interests? Or, you know, in practical terms, can we protect public health without restricting the right of churches to congregate? And I think the answer is that all congregations pose a serious risk. And therefore, uh, you know, you can't really accomplish the goal of, of limiting the risk as much as you can and still have churches congregating. So I think even under the higher standard, the uh, religious liberty interest would likely lose. Okay. Well, that's an excellent analysis for uh, our listeners. And I think most people, certainly the people that I know that normally go to church every Sunday, that they understand the need for churches to cooperate with the government when there are situations of uncertainty like what's taking place right now. If I may, Carol, there's a couple of issues that we've been dealing with, and I've been talking with other lawyers uh, representing churches. So the issue, you know, there's other issues besides just gathering in congregational worship. Here in California, we've been wrestling with whether it's okay to live stream from church, which requires at least a, a skeletal crew. And we'd be much more interested in examining a religious liberty claim if the government was allowing, you know, news teams to congregate in a uh, broadcast studio to produce the news, because that's an essential service, Uh, but they were then, uh, you know, prosecuting a pastor at church with a misdemeanor for producing uh, a live stream worship service with a skeletal crew at church. So that's a very interesting issue. Now here in California, the governor's order has included live streaming of religious services as one of those essential uh, services that's exempt from the restrictions. But even so- That's wonderful for California. And I hope that's an example that, you know, when government officials really take a look at how do we balance these rights, yet we can can get it right. Well, uh, Governor Newsom, has he been friendly towards religion? I don't know that I have an answer to that. <laughs> okay, well, you I don't know, know that he's been friendly or unfriendly. <laughs> well, he's never. Well, in this particular case, uh, he's made the right decision. I certainly agree, and I, I think he set a wonderful example for the rest of the country. It's also clear that, for example, our congregation has a has a food share ministry to to poor folks who need food, and. Um, those kinds of food distribution programs, ministries of churches are included 
in the broader exemptions for grocery stores. And uh, uh, my, my wife doesn't think that going to the farmer's market is a good idea right about now, but farmer's markets are permitted. Well, that's great. And there was another issue you said that you thought that we should discuss. Well, I, as far as the legal issues, I think those are the ones that we know about now. We don't know others that may arise in the future. Um, but I think probably the most critical issue is where do we find hope? Where do we find peace in a time of, of great uncertainty? So now you're putting on your pastor's hat. <laughs> is that okay? Yes, on this show. <laughs> All right. So where do we find hope and where do we find peace in a, I know the answer, but you can tell us anyway. Well, you know, but I, I'm going to come around about it in, a, in an unusual way because um, what I, I have long suspected, you know, we, uh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. We, we are very fond and, and uh, uh, respectful of God's commandments, of, of God's law. And we, we pride ourselves on being commandment keepers. And yet the commandment that is repeated more often than any other in all of scripture. In fact, a, a colleague of mine said he thought uh, he had a list of 100 times where God commands us, do not fear. That's right. And so I gathered a collection of some of my favorite do not fear passages. But then as I started to look at it, Carol, what I found is when God shows up in a person's life, the first thing he tells us is don't be afraid. He said it to Abraham, to Isaac. Uh, you know, he said it to, uh, to Mary, to so many. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Uh, my favorite passage, Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Well, I can tell you that uh, one time when I was going through a particularly traumatic period at my university and um, I was on a plane and I to go for a rest and I opened up my Bible and it opened up to that scripture. And it was just so powerful to me because it was like God spoke directly to my concerns and he put me to, uh, at peace. It's, it is powerful. You know, I, I like to hike and sit up looking out from some, you know, perch up high. And I always open up to Psalm 48. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountain cast into the depths of the sea. Whatever happens, uh, we can be secure in the knowledge of God's love for us. One of the scriptures, too, that uh, I've always read, and right now, you know, I'm reading it every day as part of my devotions, is Psalm 91, verses 1 through 16. And when I first had my conversion experience, and I had been involved in New Age and a lot of um, uh, Eastern religions, had quite a, quite a journey. But when I was pulling away from that, you can imagine the battle that I experienced and the Lord had me memorize that Psalm and I would be walking, you know, to class or walking somewhere and I would be reciting the 91st Psalm. And so it is such a, so, so powerful 
when it comes to the protection it offers believers? You know, that's uh, remarkable to hear you say that, Carol. Um, I also had committed, well, I came out of a similar background, I think, but I also had committed the 91st Psalm to memory early in my Christian experience. Uh, you know, a thousand may fall at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Only with your eyes will you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Well, for people out there that experience in fear, I mean, that is just such an antidote uh, for believers. And Alan, we have to take another break. And when we return, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, your organization and your ministry and how people can get in contact with you. You're listening to Be The People. Dr. Carol Swain is the mind behind Be The People news, radio, podcast, and YouTube. Be The People's mission is dedicated to empowering individuals to think independently, understand their responsibility, and believe in their unique ability to make a difference in the world. Check out Carol's work at BeThePeopleNews.com. To invite Carol to be your next keynote speaker, go to BeThePeopleNews.com. That's BeThePeopleNews.com. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, Alan Rynock. And Alan, it's been delightful talking with you. And you're my brother, and uh, I'm excited. I think my audience will be excited. Uh, but I want you to tell us how we could get in contact with you. Uh, you can tell the listeners, and then I will also post in the show description, the other relevant information. Well, I appreciate that, Carol. So our organization, Church State Council, is on the web at churchstate.org. And our, our primary ministry in terms of legal services uh, is dealing with those who suffer discrimination, harassment in the workplace because of their faith. And so that's really our expertise. And and we work with employment attorneys and Christian attorneys, primarily here in the West. Um, now, I remember, Alan, that there was a case that uh, we had talked about before this pandemic uh, that you, uh, could you briefly talk about that case? Um, I think it was sure. Montana, Mon 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 was it Montana? Mon it was the Espinosa against Montana. And actually, uh -huh. this case is, is even more relevant now in light of what Congress is doing uh, with a possible, you know, economic stimulus package, because, uh, you know, there's going to be a question as to whether there's any government funds that go for our religious ministries. The Espinoza case is likely to represent a, kind of a complete 180 degree turnaround from where our founding fathers were in terms of the relationship between church and state because going back to the, the early days of our nation, after the colonial period, uh, the states and the federal government stopped funding religion. That was part of the consensus of not establishing religion by law. 
And so the court has been whittling away on that and permitting more and more and more government funding to the church. And of course now churches are going to be hurting uh, with people not attending. Uh, you know, tithes and offerings are going to fall. And uh, we're especially concerned about the prospects for uh, Christian schools. Uh, you know, are people going to be financially able to keep sending their kids to Christian schools, even assuming that social distancing does not continue into the fall? You know, and then what about all the teachers at the schools? So all of that is a big concern for every church. But I think for us believers, isn't that a time when we know that our God is big and, you know, some churches maybe, you know, some churches that go out of business, maybe they should go out of business because they have deviated <laughs> so far <laughs> from the faith. Well, and, you know, Ben Franklin's quip was if the church needed uh, the support of the state, it was a sign it was a bad one. Uh, if it, <laughs> Its own members didn't uh, care to support it. That's that's a a loose loose you know rendition of, of his his sentiment there. I don't I don't have it perfectly quoted, but uh, look when we look at where the gospel is growing the fastest, it's in places where there is the most hardship for believers. Places yes. like China, right? So to think that we need time of of economic prosperity for the gospel to prosper, I think is a little bit backwards. Well, with that, I think we're going to end the show. And Alan, I appreciate so much your being on uh, the Be The People show. And I hope you will come back on again and we can talk more about the Constitution because I don't believe we can talk too much about our constitutional rights and when we need to roll up our sleeves and fight and when we need to uh, step back and let the government have a, a stronger hand. Be glad to do it, Carol. I really appreciate your ministry. Thanks so much for having me. And for you all, we hear this uh, important information about our nation and about our churches and our constitution. And it's really up to us, uh, the we the people that's mentioned in the preamble of the constitution, we must stand up and we must be the people who change our nation and our world. And until next time, thank you.